Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. If you have your Bibles, we're going to Exodus chapter 8. We're going to go to a passage that talks about Pharaoh hardening his heart. And so you may wonder exactly how it is I got to a title, The Reward of Obedience. And I will talk about both sides of this equation of hardening our hearts and of softening our hearts. But I want to focus especially on the positive side, on what God offers to us, what he invites us to enter into if we will choose to be obedient to him. And so let's pray for just a moment as we prepare for this. Holy Spirit, we can't know the word of God except you open it to us. You wrote it, and we ask you now to reveal it and explain it to our hearts that we might live it and obey it, that we might, we might be blessed and strengthened and used fruitfully of you. So come, Lord, make disciples of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every time we deliberately say no to God, we harden our own hearts. I want to point out, it's we do it to ourselves. We harden our own hearts, and every time we say yes to him, we become softer. By making us in his own image, God has given us the power to choose, and that ability makes us responsible for the choices we make. This passage in Exodus concludes with the statement, But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his own heart and did not listen to them as the Lord had said. In order to understand what was taking place in Pharaoh, we will first listen to a remarkable explanation about human choices. Next, we'll distinguish between ignorance, defiance, and obedience. And finally, we'll discover that by obedience, God draws us closer and closer to himself. An obedient heart leads to a relationship of great intimacy and understanding as friends of God. Now let's turn to Exodus 8. I'll begin at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. And remember what Israel is asking for. They are asking for permission to go three days journey, probably 60 to 90 miles, out into the Sinai Peninsula, out into the wilderness, to hold a national worship service. God has shown up and is active, and they're feeling very guilty and are guilty. They haven't been living obediently, and you know, when the Lord shows up, all of a sudden you begin to check your, uh, your lifestyle, and they need to have a sacrificial worship service in which they have burnt offerings for sin. And so many cattle and oxen, that kind of thing, and sheep will be sacrificed, which is highly objectionable to the Egyptians who actually worship those animals. So you can see the tension. And so they need to go out a ways so they're a good distance. Uh, they won't be uh, attacked. Mobs won't attack them. And so they've been asking for this. And that's, uh, but Pharaoh's been refusing. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with ugly green frogs. 
The Nile will swarm with frogs, which will come up and go into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and on your people and into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. Every so often you get a green slice of bread. Oh. So the frogs will come up on you and your people and all your servants. And then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers and the streams and over the pools and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. The magicians did the same with their secret arts, making frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Now, let me just stop for a second there. If you were Pharaoh and you had a couple of these magicians... Would you want them to make more frogs or less frogs? <laughs> if I were Pharaoh, it'd be sort of like, thanks, guys. Cool. More frogs. Uh, but they said, hey, we did it. <laughs> you know, ten frogs. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, entreat the Lord that he may remove the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, Pharaoh's... He's had it. He says, all right, all right, I give up. I give up. You guys can go out and have your worship service. Just pray to get rid of those frogs. And Moses said to Pharaoh, the honor is yours to tell me, when shall I entreat for you and your servants and your people that the frogs be destroyed from you and your houses that they may be left only in the Nile? What, what Moses is doing is saying, I want to make sure you know that what's going to happen is a miracle of God. I don't want you to think it's a natural life cycle of the frog and they're all just dying off. When they die, it'll be at the time you set. The exact moment you say you want the frogs dead, they'll all be dead. Now, you can have it right now. You can have it an hour and a half from now. You can have it tomorrow morning. You can have it a week from now. You decide the frogs stay till you set the date. See what he's doing? He's, he's giving Pharaoh no opportunity to doubt what is happening is directly a response to Moses' prayer to Yahweh, that the living God is the one who's done it, all right? And then he's, now notice that Pharaoh's answer is a little bit uh, remarkable. And then he said, um, tomorrow, tomorrow, one more night with the frogs. Would you have said tomorrow? I would have said like yesterday. <laughs> Yesterday'd be good. But he says tomorrow. It's, it's really kind of a silly answer, but I, I have a feeling it's a shrewd answer. My guess with this, with this Pharaoh, what he's doing is he's, he's trying to buy some time to see if his magicians can get rid of these frogs before tomorrow and then prove that his, their gods are more powerful than Yahweh. I think he's buying time. And so he said, may it be according to your word. One more night with the frogs. Uh, you may know that, that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. And the frogs will depart from you and your houses and your servants and your people, and they will be left only in the Nile. And then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had inflicted upon Pharaoh. Uh, just stopping for a moment on that verse, would you notice something? This is clearly the will of God that the frogs be killed on time. It is, Moses has no doubt God has watched all of this. But he doesn't take it for granted that it will happen unless he prays. We often say, well, it's God's will. I don't have to pray. No, you have to pray to lay hold of God's will. There's a, there's a contest. There's a, there's a thing of bringing the will of God in. 
So though it's absolutely the will of God, Moses hits his knees and pleads with God, cries before God for his answer. Isn't that interesting? Something, you're not nodding, but anyway. I think it is. I can show you other examples of people doing it too. I might do that one of these days. And then the Lord did according to the word of Moses and the frogs died out in the houses of the courts and the fields. So they piled them up in heaps and the land stank is what it says in the Hebrew. Wouldn't you imagine what that would be? Uh, but when Pharaoh saw there was relief, once the frogs are dead, he hardened his heart, made it rebellious is the Hebrew term used, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. He hardened his heart. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to go and begin to look at this process of what happens in the human heart. And I think it'll cast light on that passage with Pharaoh. Matthew 13. Jesus is teaching here from the parable of the uh, sower. Do you remember that parable? It's the story, Jesus says a man went out to sow seed, and the picture is a farmer with a sack of, of, of wheat seed probably on his hip, and taking that in his hands, he broadcasts the seed in a nice sweep and begins to plant the seed, sow his field. Then he said while he was doing it, some of the seed fell on the hard-packed soil along the trail, and some of the seed fell in the thin soil with rocks underneath it, and some of it fell among weeds. Uh, competing weeds and some of it fell on the good soil uh, that which fell on the hard packed soil didn't even penetrate didn't even get a start and it says the birds came and, and ate the seed and then he says uh, the, the seed that fell on the thin soil grew up quickly but when the heat of the day came it dried out and died and then he said the, wheat, the seed that fell among the thorns and the, the uh, weeds uh, didn't have enough nourishment because it was competing with all these other things that were growing and it didn't even bear fruit. But some fell in good soil and it produced 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. And the disciples came up to him, verse 10, chapter 13, and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Notice there's a difference. One group of people is going to be given straight explanations of the things of God, but another group of people is not going to be given that straight talk. They're going to get it in stories, stories with spiritual meanings within it. Verse 12, for whoever has to him shall more be given. And he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. That's a very important verse. Whoever has, he's going to get more. Whoever doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away from him. In a few minutes, I'll explain to you what I believe that, that verse means. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Notice the people I've got in front of me here are dull, spiritually dull. They have very little revelation. Their ears are deaf to the voice of God. Their eyes do not see spiritual things and their hearts do not comprehend spiritual truth. So, so he says, because of that, I speak to them in parables. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, 
You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. Their ears, with their ears they scarcely hear, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. He says that they don't want to hear, they don't want to see. That's why they have dull eyes. Because if they did, they know they would repent and I would heal them. What we see here is Jesus trying to reach people who have a long pattern of disobedience to God. Rather than bring further judgment on them by confronting them with the bold spiritual truth which demands a response, he told parables, stories filled with spiritual truth. In this way, the word of God would be hidden from all but those who took the time to honestly reflect on the parable. Those who wanted to obey God would discover layer upon layer of truth. But those who did not would not be hardened further because they heard only meaningless stories. The word of God, when God, the written word, the spoken word to your heart. When God speaks to us, it's powerful. And it will do something to us one way or another. If I hear and receive the word of God, if I obey it, it brings life to me. It softens me. I'll, I'm going to explain this more thoroughly in a minute. But if I reject the word of God, it, it hardens my heart. I actually, I harden my heart so I don't have to receive it. I have to put up a barrier so it won't get me. You understand? It's, there's a process. It isn't easy to say no to God. You have to work at it. You have to determine you're not going to let him get a hold of you. He's not going to make you do that crazy stuff. No sorry, Bob. You're not going to get carried away like those fanatics. You have to work at it. And you harden your heart when the word of God comes to you. Now, it brings a condemnation. When you say no to God, you fall under judgment. Jesus taught in parables out of mercy. What he was doing was he was teaching a, a, a nation which by and large had hardened themselves to God through legalism. They had chosen not to walk in faith. They had chosen to try to, to legalistically uh, come up with these little sets of rules and obey them. They'd hardened themselves. And he did not want to make the situation worse. He didn't want to condemn them further by giving them straight truth, which they would, by and large, disobey and fall under greater judgment. So he taught them in parables, stories with spiritual meaning. Anybody who had a soft heart, anybody who really wanted to find out about the things of God could go home and reflect on those stories and just begin to think, a sower sowed seed, some on the road, some among weeds, some in good soil. And as you think about it, the Holy Spirit begins to reveal it. And slowly but surely, the meaning comes to the hungry heart. But the person who doesn't want to hear the word of God, all they hear is meaningless stories and they go away. At least no worse for it. Not any harder for it. What he was doing was mercifully reaching out to whoever would listen and giving them food. To those who wouldn't, he left them unjudged. Isn't that kind of him? 
What a remarkable thing. He says in one place, he said he would not to speak to these groups except in parables. Because he did not want to bring judgment on them. Now look back at verse 12. Let me give you that explanation. It says, therefore, whoever has to him shall more be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Here's how I believe that reads. For whoever has an obedient heart, to him more revelation shall be given. But to whoever who does not have an obedient heart, even the spiritual truth he has shall be taken away from him. He says to his disciples who love him and who, who are soft to him, he says, I'm happy to explain to you. And then goes on, by the way, to explain that parable of the, of, the, of the story. He tells them exactly what it means. He says, to you, I'll tell you. But to them, I won't. Why? Because your hearts are soft. And when I give you truth, it'll bless you and minister to you. But if I tell them truth and they harden themselves, they hurt themselves further. The birds will snatch away the seed when it doesn't penetrate the heart. James 1 says that a person who, who is a hearer of the word listens to religious stuff, but does not do it, does not obey. They are simply, they're a week after week churchgoer who does not obey anything they hear, just listens to it. He says that person is like a, a man who goes and sees his image in a mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looked like. The revelation of God is quickly forgotten by the person who chooses not to obey it. And not only is it forgotten, but it leaves a dullness so that the ears become harder and harder to hear. The eyes become blinder and blinder to the spiritual things that God is trying to show us. Now, let me make a distinction between obedience, defiance, and ignorance. And by defiance, what I mean is deliberate, knowledgeable disobedience. When God speaks a direct command to us, it is a dangerous moment. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is, a living, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit. The, your soul is your natural biological life. Your spirit is your eternal personality. It says literally the word of God comes into us and begins to divide our innermost parts of us, that which is sort of flesh and that which is spirit and begins to work deep in us the, of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When the word of God comes, it will draw out your deepest intentions, your motives, your attitudes will be touched whenever the word of God comes. Now look with me to Romans chapter 5. Paul makes a very important distinction here. Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, that would be Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. Have I lost everybody? Okay, I'll explain what that. Paul says this. He said, before the written word of God came, people didn't know God's will. 
many people were totally ignorant. Lots of Gentile nations and all had no idea what was right and what was wrong. But nevertheless, they were still sinning. And when they sinned, it brought death. So they're all dying, but they don't know why. Even those who didn't sin in the likeness of Adam. Now let's think of it for a minute. Go back with me to the garden. Well, how did Adam sin? There was a tree there with a particular fruit on it. Did he know he was not supposed to eat that fruit? How did he know? Oh, he had a word of God, did he? And, and what did God say about the fruit? You shall not eat of that fruit, for the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. So, was, did he get it in a parable? Did, did God speak a parable to him? Like, trees that look red and trees that have, you know. He didn't do that, did he? He just said, listen to me, bud. Touch the tree and you're a dead man. You understand? Good. Now, let's reinterpret Genesis for a minute. Let's all invent a new story. One day, Adam is walking through the garden, and he hadn't been told anything. And he's just walking along, and there's this cool tree. And he goes, oh, that's good looking. And he picks the fruit and munches it, and all of a sudden, starts dying. And God says, oh, man, I forgot to tell you. Don't eat that thing. Two different scenarios. Second scenario. He has sinned, but he did so ignorantly. It was an accident. He didn't know he was doing the wrong thing. He's still dying, but he didn't know it was wrong. First scenario, the real one, sinning in the likeness of Adam, is to sin deliberately defiantly, fully knowing what the will of God is. Do you see that? The difference is both sins bring death. But in the likeness of Adam, the sin also hardens the conscience. It damages who you are. It does a different, not only a physical death, but an internal spiritual death takes place when I defy, knowingly defy, what I know the Lord has spoken to me. The difference between ignorant sins, unaware that I am disobeying God, and defiant sins, knowingly choose to defy God, is that ignorance brings death but not hardening, while defiance hardens the conscience. Just an illustration of this. You'll often have people come into the life of the church they come to Christ, and uh, we'll have couples that come in, and they're not married. They've been living together maybe for years. Sometimes I, I've, seen, I've seen many, many years. But, you know, they didn't really know anything much about Christianity. They didn't know really know much about the Bible. Oh, I suppose they had some vague notion of it, but it, it wasn't a real thing. It was, they weren't being rebellious. They were just following what everybody else is doing and what their minds seemed to say was right. You mean you don't? Drive a car, do you buy a car, do you drive? That kind of junk, you know, the sort of reasoning thoughts. And so they've been doing this stuff. But then they come to Jesus Christ. They get saved. Now, one thing I don't do is, is, is immediately jump on the situation and say, now, you've got to get married if you're going to become a Christian. I let them get converted and born again. And then I assume 
that the Holy Spirit will in, in time convict their hearts and they will choose to do the right thing. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes I'll have couples who have been, you know, they actually begin to, they, they go on and years pass or whatever and, and they want to go on as full members of the life of the church living in adultery. And at some point, if they, if I pray that the Holy Spirit will convict them, but if he doesn't, or if doesn't, sure he did, but they didn't listen. They moved from, a, from an ignorance of the ways of God to what? A defiance. Now the church has to step in in a disciplinary way and say, this needs to be addressed. You cannot continue defying the Lord's morals and go on with him. Do you understand? So there's a huge difference. But a person can come in, you can have the same situation where you've got one, person, one couple who are not married, but there's not a judgment on them yet. And another couple who are living in the same condition, but there is. Because this couple knows better. There's a great difference between ignorant sin and knowledgeable sin. Both bring death. But one hardens the conscience. One is a rebellion. One damages the internal person. Obedience doesn't simply require one choice. It requires a whole series of choices, doesn't it? When you say yes to God, you launch yourself into a whole process. I mean, it isn't like one yes in a, in a, in, you know, in a prayer time and you suddenly, you've obeyed God. No, he, it's always the first step into a whole pathway of what he's asking of you. It, we have to, faith requires, often day after day, we make choices. Perseverance. Uh, loving, I choose to love over and over and over and over again. Boldness, when I'm frightened, having to step out over and over and over again. Being patient, waiting for something to change or God to bring an answer. Hoping when, when my heart wants to not hope and be discouraged. The very, when I choose to obey the word of the Lord, it pushes me into a whole process in which I have to lay hold of God constantly I have to push down my flesh constantly, and in the process, I am changed. Obedience brings a transformation in which I become more soft, more, my ears more attuned to the Lord. I become uh, able to see what he's doing. Disobedience does just the opposite. Let me give you an illustration. This I heard two days ago. My daughter, and I've asked permission to use this, uh, she is a nurse and working in a, in a hospital. And there was a particular woman in the hospital who had become very disliked by the other nurses in the unit. I don't know why, uh, but she'd gotten a real antagonistic relationship going. And the other nurses had taken to gossiping about her and saying some really horrible things about her. I, I, don't, I wasn't told what they were, and I'm glad. So I don't know what it was, but they were saying some bad things about her. Sarah was not part of this dynamic, but she did listen. I mean, some of the nurses told her these things, and she listened. Now, she, didn't, she said, I did not pass it on to anyone. On the way home from work 
one day, the Lord said, I want you to go to that woman and apologize for having listened to false reports. But she says, Lord, I, 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 I didn't pass it on. I didn't say anything to anybody else. No, but you listened. I want you to go apologize and ask her to forgive you. Now, would you do that? This is not a pleasant, easy person to talk to, by the way. I, I had some honest answers. People going, I'm not sure I would. <laughs> notice that? You'll notice that whenever the word of God is really the word of God, you won't like it. <laughs> I'm serious. You've got to get in touch with this thing. You know, you have this picture, and there's people that kind of parade themselves as great people of faith, and the, and the picture they say is, I never have any doubts. I just follow God. You know, and they've got this picture like they're just... I think you're not balanced. You know, you've heard people talk about bravery. And a, a brave person, a brave, a brave soldier, a Marine or something in war is not the person who has no fears. That person is loony. Right? The brave person is the one in spite of the fears and all that's going on in their body and emotions swirling and churning, wanting to live, chooses to disregard what they feel and do what is right for their partner's or what is noble for our country. That's bravery. The other's insanity. And real faith is really a form of bravery. Real faith is when you, in spite of the opposition, the fears, the pressures against us, everything in you going, don't do it, you idiot. But you say, this is the word of the Lord, I'm going to do it. Don't feel that you're somehow a spiritual midget because you're frightened or, you're, or you're, you're, it's, it's terribly hard for you to go because of the anger that's swelling through you to go and do this thing of, of, of mercy to somebody who's treated you so badly or whatever God's asking of you. Don't feel that that pressure in you is somehow shows that you're spiritual, uh, small. It doesn't mean that at all. The fact that you obey, it's where your feet go. It's where your feet go that is faith. And so when you step out and obey, what do you think she did? She fought it a little while. Bless her heart. Not too long, though. She's, she's better than her father. And so she went to this woman and she said, I need to apologize to you. I have not spoken badly about you to anyone. However, I have listened to the reports about you. Please forgive me. What's being done right now is very wrong. Now, this is a tough, strong woman she's talking to. Tears begin to just run down her face. She begins to weep. She begins to just be so grateful and warm up, you know, to, to my daughter. The other nurses in the unit see this. And they begin to feel guilty for the way they've carried on. And they wanted a time come to the woman also then and apologize to her. And now the whole unit begins to have a loving, 
uh, peaceful environment. Sarah said she was really beginning to think about transferring. Just, have, you, have you been in those workplaces? They're just so nasty. And after what she was just saying, I, I don't think I can take this. And what a strange solution, huh? You go and apologize for just this little bit of thing that you've done. I mean, you, now wouldn't you have been able to justify to yourself, I don't have to do this. I haven't said anything to anybody. James says that the person who just chooses to be a hearer of the word and not a doer deludes themselves. And the word means logically reasons falsely and convinces themselves of a falsehood with logical reasoning. Paralogizomai. To logically reason, but to miss it and go along beside it. And so we convince ourselves, I don't have to obey, and we come up with a nice logical reason. But she didn't do that. She obeyed the word of the Lord, which released into that situation this blessing. Now, I'll tell you what it also released. Sarah's ears now will be attuned all the more sharply to the voice of God. She will have learned of quite a lesson of faith that when God speaks something like this, look what he can do. Next time he speaks, it'll still be hard. But she'll have this memory of how powerfully he moved when she obeyed him last time. So it will be easier for her. Her faith will be stronger next time he speaks. She is growing deeper in the things of God through her obedience. Defiance, on the other hand, deliberate disobedience isn't merely one choice either. You don't just say no to God. You have to say, no, 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 don't you? I mean, it's a repeated process. It, it, it's a series of choices. I must silence my conscience or it torments me. I must ignore the needs of others over and over again. I must let my fears control me. I must constantly give way to the things that I, my temptations and fears. I must avoid God and his people so no one will try to convince me to change. You'll notice that when people decide to be rebellious to the Lord, it's a lot of work. It's hard work saying no to God. I mean, you've got you to keep stuffing that conscience back in a box. No, I'm not going to do that. You have to keep reasoning with your little argument as to why you shouldn't have to do it. You're exempt from this. You have to keep pushing it down into a little box there and get it, silence it. And then you don't want to get around church. You sure don't want to be around the people of God because they make you feel guilty. You know, have you seen this where I grant you there are Christians who are very self-righteous and very judgmental. No, there, are, there is that. On the other hand, there's a phenomenon where people decide to be rebellious and then they get around Christians and they just come at us like a ton of bricks saying, you are all so hypocritical and self-righteous. And we're, unsay a word, what do you mean? And you're getting blamed for their guilty conscience. I'm sorry you feel guilty. Not very. But I might. But don't blame me because when you get around God's people, you feel guilty. If I'm being self-righteous, then i got something to repent of. But it's a lot of work saying no to God. Disobedience also is easier the next time. You learn to be disobedient. You learn. Have you had something you did the first time and your conscience just screamed? 
You were so ashamed, you just promised God and everybody. You would never, ever, 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 ever do it again. And then you did 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 it again. And after a while, that conscience just got quieter and quieter and quieter until it didn't bother you anymore. We harden our own hearts. We do the work. All God had to do to harden Pharaoh was speak the word to him. And when Pharaoh said no, the heart went hard again. I grow generally more fearful, more confused, more compulsive. I develop a habit of making bad choices. I grow more self-reliant and less reliant on God. Now, turn with me just a couple of pages to the left to Romans chapter 2. God is very patient with the ignorant and, and the rebellious. However, Romans chapter 2 verse 4, Paul says this, Do you think, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? He is very patient with the ignorant and rebellious, but his patience is mercy, not indifference or acceptance. He's giving us time to repent. Sometimes we sin, we defy the Lord, and we wait for the hammer to fall. He's going to get me. Boy, I really did it now. He's going to get me. And then when it doesn't happen, you're not struck dead by lightning or whatever. People think, oh, he doesn't care. Wrong conclusion. Even when you've been doing something for a long time and God still hasn't pegged you to the wall for it. The conclusion isn't. He doesn't care. What he is, is patient. He's giving you time to repent. Giving you time to change your mind. He's hoping you will turn. Verse 5 there. Paul says, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. His patience doesn't last forever. There's an end to God's patience. You know, the, the dangerous thing when I hear people keep saying, God is a God of love. He's a God of love. God of love. What they mean is he's a sappy fool. He'll never hold you accountable. He just loves you. That's where we're going with that thinking, isn't it? Yes, he will hold you accountable. His mercy is great, but there is an end to it. And we will stand before the judgment seat of God. And at that point, the mercy is gone and the judgment arrives. If I do not know Christ. And in fact, it not only has to wait for the judgment day sometimes. If this varies situation to situation, but go back one more chapter, Romans 1. Paul's talking here about how the human race turned away from God, verse 21, and he says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation, and their foolish heart was darkened. They hardened their hearts and got confused in their thinking. Let your eye go down to verse 24. I just want to show you a phrase. He says, when people turn deliberately against God, 
and stay at it, here's what happens. Therefore, God gave them over. And he talks about uh, worshiping false things. And then down to verse 26, he says, God gave them over. And here it's perverse sexuality. Then you go down a little farther to verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. And then it's down in 32. It says, although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty of approval. We can cross a threshold in this life where our conscience dies and we lose all constraint. We can cross a threshold in this life where our conscience dies and we lose all constraint. I said it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. It's like a flame dying down, dying down, dying down until it's just a little pilot light. Just a flickering flame. And then at some point, and only God knows this, poof, it goes out. And you have no conscience anymore. It's a very dangerous game to play. I don't think it happens to everybody. But I think it does happen. And it's a very terrible thing. It comes from deliberately. We squeeze that thing down till it dies. Now let's look at the positive. Wouldn't that be fun? But God draws the obedient closer and closer to him as friends. This, this is the real goal of this thing. I mean, we can talk about the danger of the negative, but I want you to see the beauty of the positive, of where God wants to take us. He wants to take you and me into a place where we become friends to those who have soft, obedient hearts. More shall be given, and he shall have an abundance. God wants to give spiritual revelation and truth and insight to us. He wants to, he wants to take us to a place where the Holy Spirit is counseling us and teaching us and explaining to us, giving us discernment and wisdom way beyond ourselves. Every one of us. Isaiah 48, or 41 verse 8, the Lord says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, what? My friend. Abraham was his friend. Exodus 33, 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his, to his friend. What, what a contrast. You've got Pharaoh hardening his heart. This isn't God doing this. He hardened it. And then you've got Moses. Moses obeyed the word of the Lord. But not very well at first. Aren't you Comforted by Moses' foolishness. On, at Mount Sinai, there he's got the bush burning and talking to him. And the Lord says, this, I'm going to take him down to Egypt. And Moses argues and says, not me. Four times said no to the Lord. To the point that the Lord was angry. Hallelujah. This is a man like us. And yet, finally, his feet went where he was supposed to go. He took, a, he took the staff of God and a donkey, put his wife and, and two sons on the thing, and headed south. North, west, anyway. North and then west. Got to go around the end of the sea. He obeyed. And where did it lead him? Well, it led him to one crazy thing after another. 
strike the, the Red Sea with the entire Egyptian army behind you, and it will open. Yeah, right. Wham. Oh, man. And then one thing after another, after another, after another. Don't kid yourself. They're all hard. Lord, they want to stone me. There's no water. Throw that bush in the water. Over and over again. Where did it take him? It take, took Moses to a place where there was a, a, a little tent that they put outside the camp called the Tent of Meeting. And Moses would go out to that tent and it says when he did, the Shekinah glory of God would come like a great cloud and stand in front of the door. And it says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one man speaks to another. Why? He had an obedient heart. I'm telling you, this is where your obedience leads. Intimacy. Revelation. Understanding. When you obey, you soften. You sensitize. You grow. It's not a, you don't stay in one place. You change. You change when you rebel. You change when you obey. It does one thing or another, but there's no such thing as coasting. There is no middle ground. You're getting better or you're getting worse. Acts 13.22 says, uh, the Lord says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He loved David. Did David make mistakes? Huge ones. We still, we, what would we do without his sins to preach on? <laughs> but he loved the Lord. And the Lord loved him. And bottom line, he did, he did obey. And then we come to the, my final verse. John 15 Jesus says, you are my friends. If you do what I command you. Notice, obedience leads to friendship. And it's not a reward. It's not God saying, okay, you've done enough stuff. I'm going to call you my friend. It's that when you obey, you open your heart, you soften, you become drawn to God through your obedience. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. The Lord reveals the hidden things of God to his friends. Discernment and wisdom. Understanding. Way beyond your human capacity. You will become wise beyond any reason that you should be wise. You will understand and know things through the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom that you should not know. God will draw you in and teach you his word about life, about how you care for your own household. You will live at a point way beyond any human capacity you have, for you are now a friend of God. There's nothing he won't tell you that you should know. Now, Having said all of this, I would think that there's some people who are sitting here listening right now saying, boy, Steve, this is all right to talk about. I understand what you said, but, but I've got a whole life of bad choices. I mean, I've got a long legacy. And, and I, if I'm listening to what you're saying, I've gotten myself into such a pickle that I've got I to gotta have an equal number of good choices to somehow come out of this thing. So I'm going to be years getting my act together. I'm a long way from being a friend to God. That's not true. 
though choosing to rebel to the word of the Lord hardens you, God's power to soften us when we obey is far greater than the devil's power to harden us. I have observed, I mean, I've really seen this, I've watched it in people, that only a few choices of obedience are needed to turn a life around. Not the next 10 years of good choices. Two, three, four choices of where you just deny your fears, deny your lusts, deny your anger, deny your stubbornness or pride, and just do what the Lord's been telling you to do. Two, three, four of those. And your whole life turns around. And you enter a season of blessing. I have observed it. It's remarkable. So somebody today may need to be saying, I need to take that first step. The first step is saying yes to God. It's responding to him right now and saying yes to him. You may be sitting here and you don't have a long legacy, but you've got some things you've just plain dug your heels in. And you have not obeyed. But as you see the word today, you're moved. And you think, I'm going to choose to obey. I want to give an invitation, an opportunity right now for us to make that step, to seal it, to make that choice. Who's willing to say to the Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, I've known what you've wanted me to do for so long. I've known what I'm supposed to be doing. I, the word of the Lord is clear to me. I've sinned in the likeness of Adam. This isn't ignorance. I can't claim that I don't know what to do. I know what you want me to do. I just haven't done it. But today I repent of that. And today I choose. Put my hand in yours and be an obedient man, obedient woman. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to just give a little privacy to some people. But... Who needs to raise your hand today and say, that's me? Just raise it up, raise, hold it high. Go ahead, don't be ashamed of this. This is an extremely important. I know there's a step I'm supposed to take. I know that I have sinned in the likeness of Adam. He's, God's spoken a word to me, and I have just plain rebelled against it. I have refused to obey it. I've dug my heels in and said no to him. I've logically argued with myself. I've excused myself. I've, I've blamed my mother, whatever. But I am not going there anymore. Today, I'm saying yes to you, Lord. Now, let me just ca caution you. What you're not saying is I've got the power to get my act together. From here on out, I'm going to be a good boy. You, you don't have the power to get your act together. The Holy Spirit will be the, will be the source of this change. But you have a will. God gave you the will. The light switch is in your hand. The decision is in your hand. Nobody can make that decision for you. Not even God. You can choose to say yes to him. And then throw yourself into his arms and say, I need your power. I need your help. I need you to carry me day by day, moment by moment, temptation by temptation. But if you'll do that, God, I will choose to obey. I do choose to obey right now. And all of a sudden the new process starts and you'll see I promise you you'll see the provision of God I promise you you'll see his hand
He never fails. He is so faithful to us. What that will look like, I don't know. But it will indeed. Someday you'll give testimony and glory to God for what he's done. Now again, who needs to raise your hand? Hold it up. Holy Spirit, we stand before you. We would not harden our hearts. Not one day more. We soften our hearts. We choose to have obedient hearts. That we would be friends of God. Take our hand, Lord, and teach us to walk. Give us strength now. Help us go forward. We make this covenant. We make this solemn vow. And by the way, if you do make this promise, for heaven's sakes, keep it or don't make the promise at all. Don't do another um, time when you, when you don't fulfill what you said to the Lord. Lord, we, we make this choice and we solemnly, we solemnly commit that if you will give us the strength and power, we will indeed obey you. And we know you will. So we put our hand in yours. And by faith, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for leading us into that place of intimacy, that place of revelation, of drawing us in as friends of God. To him who has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. Lord, we have an obedient heart. Speak, thy servant heareth. Say that with me. Would you speak, Lord, thy servant heareth? Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Again, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. One more time. Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Speak, Lord. We listen with obedient hearts. In Jesus' name we pray it and seal it. If that's your prayer, would you say amen? Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.